Seated. Turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. Our message this morning comes from the Acts of the Apostles. We have reached chapter 15 in our continued reading of the text, which means we are at halfway. You probably have noticed that we are going to be done with the book of Acts sooner than we got done with the book of Job. And the reason for that is, well, Acts is not as long as the book of Job. Let us go to the Lord again and seek his help. Most gracious God and Father, we, we come before you as needy children. You have all the things we need for that which we are gathered here to do. Oh, gracious Lord, we pray that by your, by your spirit, in the name of your Son, we would recognize the voice of our Master, that we would recognize the authority therein, the Word, and that we would be indeed persuaded, that we would be subdued, that we would be delighted, that we would be changed, that we would be converted, that we would be made new, all for your glory, your honor, your praise. We are desperately weak, O Lord, to benefit from what is now to happen unless you visit us graciously, and we have every reason to believe you will as we now petition you in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, bring honor to yourself in the visitation of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 15, 1 through 11. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved 
through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. This is God's word. One unpleasant memory I have of my childhood is when my grandmother locked my head under her arm next to her rib cage so she could shove her hand into my mouth and push her finger down deep into my throat to keep me from choking on a piece of hard candy. Ironically, it was a lifesaver. <laughs> True story. Well, to borrow some language from our reading just now, my grandmother had no small dissension and debate with the obstruction in my throat. She got aggressive to save my life. Nobody has done since what she did that day. What looked like cruelty, if you happened to be walking by, was actually a high order of love, wasn't it? Cruelty would have been to leave me alone, choking on that which was hard. How much dissension, how much debate would you welcome in your life if it saved your soul? How much disruption and disturbance and argument and quarreling would you welcome for your soul? In our reading today, we learn that the early church did not pursue peace and quiet. They did not pursue peace and quiet at all costs. We are, of course, as those with whom God has made peace through the blood of his Son, we are to strive for peace. If God has made peace between you, who are once his enemy, and himself, at the expense of his dear son, striving for peace must now characterize your life. The scripture even says, let us pursue what makes for peace. Romans fourteen nineteen. But we are learning from our apostles today We must not pursue peace at all costs. The apostles would not allow the gospel of God to be locked up in a closet just so everyone could avoid arguments and avoid controversies and avoid debates and avoid strife. Hey, put that gospel away. It causes too much arguing. They wouldn't allow it. Keeping the gospel front and center in the church, keeping the gospel clean and right is more important than having peace and quiet in the church. So when Paul and Barnabas saw the church choking on a false gospel, they shoved their hands into her throat. They created even more discomfort to save the souls of men. They refused to allow the gospel to evolve. They refused to allow the gospel to change, to be modified with each new idea that some important men in the church wanted to bring to it. They refused it. Which means in Acts 15, we are not looking at the misery of persecution, are we? Persecution is when you have attacks against the church from outside the church. We are looking at the misery of heresy when you have attacks against against the church from inside the church. 
But just like persecutions, the Christian should not fear heresies. We should not enjoy them, of course, but we should not fear them, for it is God who allows them. He allows sound doctrine to be assaulted so that it comes to shine more brightly when it prevails against the devil who assaults it. Paul made this very point to the Corinthians. He said, For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. 1 Corinthians 11.19. Now Paul's wording there, there must be factions, is a reference to the divine will. God allows it. He allows it to make the truth sparkle and to make men and women true themselves in our most holy faith. So in Acts 15, we have the first insider attack on the early church. This is it right here. And it quickly leads to the first general assembly of the early church, the Jerusalem Council, as it's called. Apostles and elders, and this helps us kind of see what an elder is, if we didn't know. Apostles and elders from local churches go up to Jerusalem to meet, to debate, and to rule on matters that concern the whole church of God. And what was the controversy that triggered this first general assembly? It was the very gospel message itself, which is quite fitting. What is and what is not necessary to be saved? That's the controversy. Look how it started. Verse 1 says, some men came down from Judea which means they came down from the church in Jerusalem, down in elevation to the church in Antioch, Syria, where Paul and Barnabas had returned to and were spending no little time with the disciples, it says in the last verse of the previous chapter. The church in Antioch, Syria, which later became known as the cradle of Christianity, because there were so many Gentile believers in that church. Now, these men that came down did not come because leaders in the Jerusalem church sent them. No. And that gets very cleared up in verse 24 later, when a letter is written by the Jerusalem council, and they say in verse 24, we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. So these are mercenary men. These unsettling troublemakers were not sent, but they came to Antioch anyway because they had a burning in their bosom. Be warned about the burning bosoms. They had an idea of their own. They had a preference. They had an instinct. They had a book they wanted to to hawk. I added that part. You see, they thought everyone else should think about the gospel in the innovative way they were thinking about the gospel. And what did they say, these ones who came down? They said to the Gentile Christians of Antioch, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. 
these unsettling troublemakers wanted to add something to the person and work of Jesus Christ. They did not think they were taking any <clears throat> they did not think they were taking anything away from Christ. They confessed Jesus as the Messiah. They were men of the church in Jerusalem. But they did think something needed to be added to the person and work of Christ. Circumcision. They did not want you to think all your sins were forgiven unless you were also circumcised. They did not want you to think you were fully and finally reconciled to God unless you were also circumcised. They did not want you to think you could approach the day of judgment in peace unless you were also circumcised. They did not want you to think you had escaped from the forces of evil, from the dominion of the fallen nature, from the corruption of the world, unless you were also circumcised. They wanted to change the gospel message of man's salvation. They did not want Gentile sinners like you and me to have peace with God until we added some of our own religious works to Christ. These men from Judea were peddling a false gospel. They wanted you to put one hand on Christ and put your other hand on your own works. And only then did they want you to allow your conscience to say, I am safe with God. And why would they want this, do you think? Well, the answer was not because they were Jews. Understand. They didn't think this way because they were Jews. Them being Jews and thinking this way is simply what we would say is accidental or correlative. Paul was a Jew and didn't think this way. Peter was a Jew and didn't think this way. Paul rejected the false gospel of Jesus plus some of your own religious works. Peter rejected the gospel of Jesus plus some of your own good works. These men from Judea who went down to Antioch with this innovative false gospel wanted a Jesus plus gospel because they desired the outward customs of Judaism and did not desire the clean heart which Christ alone gives when he is received by faith alone. They didn't think they needed a heart to be cleaned. Their chief desire their chief desire was a religious life and moral life that distinguished them from other men. Please listen carefully now. They did not desire a new heart made clean by God through the gift of his son in mercy. Remember, God had declared by the prophet Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone Ezekiel 36, 26. But these troublemakers who came down to Antioch, they had fallen for the devil's trick. They thought they were clean before God because they were different than other men. Have you fallen for that trick? Do you think you're clean before God because you're not a Republican? Do you think you're clean before God because you're not a Democrat? 
Do you think you're clean before God because you go to church every week? Do you think you are clean before God because you keep daily devotions? Do you think you are clean before God because you are different than other men? Circumcised in the flesh, these men were. Practicing the customs of Moses, these men were. Knowing the ins and outs of the law, these men were. They thought being different from other men was cleanliness before God. What did the Pharisees say in Luke 18 when he went up to the temple to pray? God, I thank you that I am not like other men. That, beloved, is a fatal conceit. No one makes themselves acceptable to God by being different than other men. True Christians, of course, will be different, but their conscience must never depend on that difference for acceptance with God. They must never place their trust in that difference for their justification before God. They must not boast in that difference. They must boast in Christ alone. Why? Because Christ alone is the sinner's only acceptance with God. Look again at what Peter rises to say in verse 7 at the Jerusalem Council. And after there had been much debate... Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Now in that statement of verse 7, Peter is recalling a historical event to affirm an immovable theological truth. And the historical event was his visit a few years earlier to the house of Cornelius. Cornelius, a Gentile. Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort. We read about him in Acts 10. While Peter was speaking of Jesus to Cornelius, Cornelius believed on the Jesus being revealed to him by Peter, and he believed that Christ had been given to himself, Cornelius, and that Christ was all that he needed to be clean and reconciled to God. And God, who Peter says in verse 8, who knows the heart, God who knows that Christ has become everything to Cornelius, God pours out his spirit on Cornelius right at that moment. Cornelius begins speaking in tongues. Cornelius has been saved. Cornelius has been saved without the works of the law. Cornelius' heart has been cleansed by faith, by his believing on Christ. Having believed the gospel, he has been justified. He now possesses the eternal life of God. He possesses the eternal life of God through faith in Christ, who gives life to whomever he will. All the sins of Cornelius, past, present, future, are forgiven. He is no longer destined for wrath, 
He is saved. He will never totally nor finally fall away. Now in Christ, he has the same favor with God as God's own son. Thus, all the help of God now belongs to Cornelius, so he will never perish. He will never lose his faith because his faith was freely given to him in the first place as gift. And he will bear the fruit of the eternal life that he has been gifted. Peter's point then, in verses 7, 8, and 9, is that faith accomplishes everything. Because faith lays hold of the whole Christ for the needs of the whole man. It is the eternal eternal and divine Son, Jesus of Nazareth, who alone in his person and work bears the perfect image of God. He alone has satisfied the demands of God on us human creatures who had but corrupted that divine image. The works of the law cannot satisfy those demands. They're only satisfied by a person. A moral life distinct from the moral life of other men cannot satisfy the demands. Only the person and work of Jesus Christ can justify you with God and make you what Scripture calls a new creation. This is why both of your hands must be on Jesus Christ. He says, let me fill your hands and nothing else. He gives himself so fully to you. He alone must be your only claim for cleanliness before God. In fact, you remain foul in sin if you think you can add even a few of your works to Jesus Christ. In fact, you remain bound for hell and eternal wrath if you think you must add a few of your works before, or to, excuse me, to Jesus Christ to be justified before God. I want you to hear that from Paul himself. Paul, writing in Galatians 5, verse 2, speaks about the very controversy of Acts 15. He says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision... Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Close quote. Paul is not saying circumcision is bad in itself. He is saying that to trust in circumcision, to trust in any other work of the law as a thing you hope to complete your acceptance with God, such a trust in your works cuts you off from Christ. A Jesus plus gospel immediately loses the ministry of Christ. Think of it like this. Suppose there is a room called justification with God. And when you open the door to that room, you see a man's faith and you see Jesus Christ. 
Christ can only be in the room of justification with God if faith alone is also in that room. Faith can be there with Christ because faith is not a work of man. It competes in no way with Christ, faith. Faith is only an instrument by which we look to and take refuge in Christ. Now, if we bring a few of our works, if we bring a few of our works into that room, if we bring a few of the things which we are most proud of because they make us different than other men, perhaps our being in a Reformed Protestant church, perhaps our being never divorced, perhaps our bearing five children, perhaps our homeschooling, if we bring anything into that room, justification with God, to add to Christ, to complete our acceptance with God, we lose Christ. Christ must flee the room, and faith must flee. Faith and works cannot tolerate being in the same room if it is the room of justification with God. And if we let any of our works into that room and later go back to open the door and look on our justification with God, we will find that there is no room there at all. Because there is no such thing as justification without Christ. There is no such thing as justification without faith alone. And when we open the door to what we thought would be a room of safety, it turns out to be a gasping chasm into hell itself and eternal estrangement from God because we rejected grace through Jesus Christ. Now look with me at one more thing in our text this morning. It's verse 11. There Peter says to the Jerusalem council, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Now we need to understand some pronouns in that verse if we're going to fully benefit from it. Peter says we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Who is the first we of we will be saved? Well, those are Jews by birth. Who then are the they of just as they will? Those are Gentiles by birth. So to put this together, in verse 11, we Jews will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as those Gentiles will. Beloved, this is Petrine brilliance of the highest order. Peter has just said something that is the exact opposite of what the men were saying who went down from Judea to Antioch, the exact opposite of what the Pharisee party was saying in verse 5. Pharisees, by the way, who were also part of the Christian church in Jerusalem. If you remember from Acts 2 and 3, many Pharisees had joined the church. They believed Christ was the Messiah. But Peter has now said something that is the exact opposite of what they are saying. 
He has just advanced a conclusion that says this. Well, let me back up a second. They were saying, the Pharisee party, they were saying the Gentiles to be saved, saved needed to learn from the Jews and become more and more Jewish. Then Christ will be a benefit to them. But Peter has just said, no, we Jews must look and see how God is saving the Gentiles freely through the gift of the Lord Jesus by faith alone. Look and see that, my fellow Jews, for we Jews will only be saved in the same way the Gentiles are being saved. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Beloved, I want to assure you that you will not have a quarrel with me. You will not have my hand down your throat over the things that you eat, the things that you wear, over the TV shows that you watch. But we will have our worst quarrel. We will have dissension and debate. If you come down from Judea and try to peddle among us a gospel that says men and women, boys and girls, can only be clean before God if they believe in Jesus and do these things. If you bring a Jesus plus gospel, we must quarrel because it is the love of the ministers of Jesus Christ, your pastor and elders, who must indeed guard and defend the true gospel. Only Christ can be found in the room justification with God when faith alone is there as the instrument that looks to Christ. Repudiate all of your good works insofar as you are tempted to use them to justify yourself before God. They will only condemn you. Let us pray. Father, we ask and pray that you would set this glorious gospel deep into our hearts. We thank you, Lord, that the Apostle Paul and Barnabas were raised up to enter into this controversy and to have it writ large before us in your holy Bible so that we would understand how to conduct a controversy in the church, and what to go to battle over. And Father, we thank you and praise you that the salvation of sinners is worthy of controversy. Our Savior Jesus himself preceded his apostles in this same controversy. And Lord, we thank you and praise you that he has testified to the soul of all believers that he alone is their righteousness. He alone is their forgiveness. He alone is the one who has made them acceptable to God. And we indeed 
look to him by faith alone. Father, we thank you and praise you that it is your will to give your children everything through your son, even the gift of faith itself. I pray, O oh Father, if there are any among us today who have been laboring under a false peddled gospel of Jesus plus, that they would be delivered from the darkness of it and that they would come to Christ and believe upon him and believing upon him as their wisdom, as their righteousness, as their sanctification, as their redemption, that they would indeed have everything that you, O God, give to sinful men. Gracious Lord, we thank you for the grace of justification by faith, alone in Christ alone, how it sets us irremovably, irrevocably in your favor, so that now you will proceed with every good gift needed for us to indeed walk in the restoration of your image. We thank you for this wonderful work that you have done in us. In Jesus' name, amen.